If you have your uh, Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Um, if you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. Yes, the usher has one. There we go. Hebrews chapter 6. This is a continuation of last week, which seems like a, almost a, a diversion of where the author was going originally. We started our study kind of in the beginning of 5 on the idea of this high priest and, and what's, what does the high priest mean. And, and the author kind of diverged a little bit and hit this really difficult text last week that we began at the beginning of 6, um, 1 through 8. And then this is the second part of that before it jumps back into the high priest next week and studying that some more. Uh, last week we hit uh, 6, 1 through 8, which is a text that I shared last week. I would really, really encourage you. This is one of those weeks where I said last week that I was a cliffhanger that needed this week to go together. They're really meant to be one and the same. We just don't have time to do them both in the same. So if you haven't heard last week, I would really encourage you to go back and get the podcast and listen to that and then apply that through what today is. I said this is the good news of what he talked about last week and the difficult sec- uh, section that was and the text it was. I said there's a number of ways in which the text can be de- um, um, understood or interpreted, but that we, we said that ultimately the application to whatever you interpret or how you believe that text is saying 6, 1 through 8 was the same. And last week we pushed really hard on the idea of being saved by God, and what does that mean? Can you stay saved, or does that fall away, or how, how, do we, how does that text really define that in light of the other scriptures? Last week, we defined it specifically as um, we believe that God holds our salvation, and that, that we see scriptures pointing to the fact that once you are saved, you are saved for good, and that's done through Him, but there are a lot of people that can look the part, that can pretend and can seem that way, and that's the way we studied it. Again, there are other interpretations of that, but the application was the same. The application was that we should be more relentless to pursue God in our own life and more relentless to pursue other people in our life because of the fact that either way, there's a chance that there are those, whether they are pretending or, or wanting to be, either way, there are those that need to know the hope of Jesus Christ and a life submitted to them. And I hope we prayed as a, as a, as a community last week um, together. I hope that you guys have been praying for those people still, I pray that, you, that your, your mind would get interrupted by them. I, I was praying all week that there would be um, ran, seemingly random interactions where your paths would cross with these people that you've been praying for and that God would reinvigorate your heart to pray for them. And that's what we're doing. I would encourage you to keep praying for them. This, this text this week, Hebrews uh, 6, 9 through 12, is, is essentially the, the good news to what was being spoken there. And so let's go ahead and read and then we'll, we'll, we'll move on in it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. So he, I'm going to pause here for a second because he says, though we speak in the way. So though I just sent this huge section of, of, of talking about those that fall away and how they can't be restored to God, and this is a big deal. Though we speak of this way, I'm, I'm certain of something about you. And this is important for us to understand. There's, there's two different ways. The warning did not address them directly in second person, you, but was expressed in third person, those or who, those who. That's what last week was talking about. Here he, he makes it more personal. This is you, and then adds beloved. And this is an endearing term where he's saying, you beloved, you, you, you individuals here, I am certain of better things. What better things specifically? He says, the things that belong to salvation. That would have been, again, if you heard this one setting, that would have been a big exhale moment. <sighs> salvation, okay, let's, let's pay attention. Then what is, he, what is he certain for us in salvation? For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to know the same, or to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. 
And so here we see this text, and again, I want to I just say this on the front end. There's a way we can interpret and understand and, and, and come away with this text that I think is very dangerous to what this text is actually doing. There's, there's a way that we can come to this and go, oh, okay, well, this is what it's saying, and just apply it, and, and for the most part be semi-right, but actually it's, it's a really dangerous understanding of this text. So we're going we're gonna to dig into it a little bit first here. He says, he says specifically that he's saying, hey, there's, there's a love that you've shown for other saints and God's not unjust. So he's, he's basing his, his character, uh, God's character as being not unjust. So what is the salvation? God is not unjust as to overlook what? Your work. Your work of serving the saints. Now, we have lots of scriptures. In fact, 159-ish one another's in the New Testament alone that talk about how we are to treat other believers. There are plenty of scriptures as well that talk about how we are to treat those who are not believers yet. So this isn't an excuse to say, oh, I just need to love the believers, the saints, and forget about anyone that's not. That's not what the scripture is talking about. But for some reason in this setting and the way that he's laying it out, he's saying there's a way in which you have shown love for the saints that's super encouraging to me. You've, you've been earnest. You've been diligent. You've in haste. You've hurried. You've, you've not been lackadaisical. You have pushed into loving the saints. This is the second time he's mentioned this. He mentioned it in, for, in chapter one as well. Their love for each other is something that he's like, this is great. It's amazing. And so he's, he's literally going into, okay, well, if you want to understand some kind of assurance, if, if I'm, I'm, I'm certain of salvation for you. And the reason why I'm certain, it seems like he's saying, is because of the way that they serve. Because of the way they serve one another. And we'll, t- we'll talk about that more. He also says that God notices. I don't know if you've ever paid attention to this, but God actually notices our service for one another. And I think a lot of times we spend time trying to get other people to notice it when the Lord is saying, hey, I'm paying attention. I'm paying attention, and I'm not going to forget. First off, God doesn't forget. He chooses not to remember. He doesn't, it's not like he's like, oh, man, I lost my keys today. Like, that's not God's character. He doesn't forget things. But he says he will not, not forget. He will remember your love for one another, for the saints. So this, this poses a couple questions that I, I got to pause on. We can't, we can't sit in it for, for the day, but I want to pause in a little bit. Is how are you treating other believers? I want to be really clear about that. Some of you like, you're like instantly went to, you're like, oh, my gospel community, I'm treating them pretty good. Yeah, okay, I'll say your gospel community. What about in the greater body of this church? What about the big C church, where it's not just little Revolution 22, but all the churches that are preaching the name of Christ and submitted to scriptures? How are you treating the saints? See, one of the biggest issues that I believe that most of us have, and I don't have time to go there, but I want to just kind of lob this one out so you guys can let the Lord work on you this week in it, is our, is our unwillingness to forgive and to hold bitterness to other, other believers. It is unbelievable how we can justify in our minds that it's okay for us to have hatred or anger or bitterness or unforgiveness to another believer. Guys, very clearly, he says, the way that you forgive one another is the way that I forgive you. So, I mean, it, it's pretty clear in the scriptures. We can't just walk with that bitterness. And it's, it's only, I'm telling you, it's poisoning you and the community people around you. I bet that some of us that have that right now, that, that anger, that frustration, that bitterness, that unforgiveness, you have justifiable reasons to have it. You were wronged. I'm not even saying that there was what, whatever happened wasn't wrong. But you carrying that bitterness and that unforgiveness is not what this text is talking about. This text is talking about how we love the saints. Well, harboring unforgiveness for someone else is not loving them. And so I, I want to just like lob that out. Some of you, like, you're carrying bitterness and, and it's, not, it's not helpful. It's not healthy. It's hurting you. It's hurting the people you love around you. So don't hold it back. And so it seems like in this text he's saying the way that you love your saints is how you can know you're saved. Well, the downside to defining it that way is that then it makes it about what we do. 
And so I don't think that's what the text is saying. Let me go on and make that point a little bit bigger first. In verse 12, it seems like he's saying, for ways for us to have assurance and hope is to not be sluggish, to imitate those that went before us, and to inherit the promises of God. It seems like, again, it's saying this is, this is what it looks like. If you want to you have hope, the full assurance of hope, which tell me, like, after the first eight verses of the section, I feel like every single person is like, yeah, I want that. How do, how do I get that? This is scary. I don't like the idea of this falling away thing. I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. I want to have full assurance of hope. And it would seem like most of us would translate it to not be sluggish, which is inactive or slow. A lot of us get sluggish in our walk. Some of you right now, we're, you're struggling being sluggish in your, in your time with God. You're just inactive with the Word of God. You're inactive with community. You're slow to, to, to grow. We'd go back a couple weeks and, and Jonathan was talking about maturing. Like your maturing process has been so slow. It's, not even, it's almost like non-existent seemingly at times because of our sluggishness in our life. And so it's almost like this text is saying, okay, well then don't be sluggish. Now I need to imitate those that go before us. Well, we see in Hebrews chapter 11, all of the pillars of faith that we're to imitate. In fact, right after this section, he brings up Abraham when he goes into the high priest idea again. And so here are these people that we're supposed to imitate. Imitate them through patience and their faith. And, and if you imitate them, then you can have the hope and the assurance and you can know for sure. You want, to, you want to inherit the promises to the end. And that's what it seems like this text is saying. But I actually, I think there's a better way to interpret this. Um, I said there was a problem that arises from us understanding it that way. Is I think that a lot of us, we are, if you hear you need to serve the saints and you're like, I need to, I need to have more people at my house. I got, I got to open my doors up more. I got to, I got I to gotta spend more time. I got to make more meals. I got I to invite more. We got to get this nonprofit over here. And you start, you start thinking about things that you can do. And, and it's not that those things are wrong, but you're, you're making it, your, your priorities out, out of whack here. And let me, let me explain that for a second. When I, I get the opportunity to do a lot of weddings, I've done a lot of weddings because we have a lot of young people getting married and it's been awesome. One of the things I always say, I, I know as, as a, the pastor doing a wedding, like my role is to kind of disappear. People don't want to notice the pastor. They're there for the bride and the groom. So, so I just kind of like, what do you need for me to do? And, and I don't do anything that people ask me to do, but, but what do you need? And then, and then I always say, but the, I always push my own agenda. I say, there's these five commitments that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, I'm going to push on you guys before we get to the vows. And I do them in every wedding. And I say, this is something I feel like I have to do because it's really good for me and it's good for everyone here. These are things I want you to commit yourself to. And, and the very first commitment is, is a commitment of priority. And what I say is I say, you will commit to make God your priority, your number one, your spouse your number two, and everything else underneath that. And see, if a marriage is going to thrive and, and not just survive, then, then you have to keep those in order. When those get out of order, order problems happen. When, you, when your wife becomes your God, it's, it's a big problem because she's a crummy God, just like you are a crummy God. When, when your kids take precedence, when your job takes precedence, when anything steps up out of order, you lose sight of the main thing. And I think that's what happens here. When we stop at, I need to serve more. I need to do more. I need to, I need to be a better Christian so that I can have this assurance and so I can do these things. We make it about what we do and we get our priorities out of place. If you notice real quickly, there's this one section. It says loving other people in his name. In his name. See, ultimately what's happening in verse 10 isn't a, the, the goal would be to, to serve the saints, but that's not the agenda. That's not the point. That's not why you're doing it. You're doing it because you're loving God. And that's literally what he's saying in verse 10. In fact, the exact same thing in verse um, 11 points out what 12 is saying. Again, the NIV translates it differently, but verse 12 starts with, so that. So the, the full assurance of hope is what we're fighting for. Not to not, like, to push to not be sluggish. 
Not to push to be imitators. That's a goal, but that comes from fighting for assurance of hope. And so essentially what these two texts are saying, what this text is saying in light of what came through verse 1 through 8 is, hey, you want to know if, you're, if God is in place. You want to have assurance in all those things. You want to see the salvation. You'll see it in all these ways. You'll see it in the way you serve these saints, and you'll see it in, in not being sluggish and how you imitate. But you're not, you're not striving for that. You're striving to be satisfied with God. Your striving is for Him, to love Him. This is why we say, uh, like, the whole point of, of our church is to love God and love others. You cannot, it is impossible to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and not love other people. They don't exclude each other that way. You can try really hard, but it's, it's not going to happen. And just like I said, you can't love other people if you don't first love God. Now people are like, whoa, 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 hang on a second. No, you can't love people the way that God calls us or commands us to love people. You can't love with the kind of love that only God can give apart from God. They are tied together. And that's what this text is saying. This text is telling us, saying, look, don't just strive to serve and love the saints, although you want to know something really cool. That's how I know you love the Lord, because you're serving the saints. That's how I know. Some of you, you know what's really interesting? This, I can't gloss over this. It says serving as you still do at the end of verse 10. As you still do. See, some of us right now, we're riding on the coattails of 10 years ago. Man, I was so busy 10 years ago. I served so much. It was awesome. And then we don't serve people anymore. We just say, oh, you know, I've just been on a 10-year season of break. <laughs> Started out as a month break, and then two months and three months, and then really the reason why I needed the break is probably because I was spending more time loving people in my own strength as opposed to being satisfied in God and letting that satisfaction then spill out into my love of other people. And he says the same thing. You want the full assurance of hope? Man, guys, we cannot hope in ourselves. You can't hope in not being sluggish. You can't hope in imitating people's faith. You can't hope even in the promises at the end. Your hope is in God alone, who he is, who he promises to be, and what he promises to do with us. Promises like he started a work in us, but he will finish it. Promises, in fact, uh, speaking of the end, Hebrew, the book of Hebrews is riddled with the idea of the end goal. Promises at the end. It says the final, um, sorry, the notion is akin to boldness of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 3.6 and 10.19 and the assurance of faith, 3.14 and 11.1. The final phrase to the very end. So this idea of being to the very end, the inherited promises that we have is all over. We see um, that it ends with a hope that involves God's blessing, Hebrews 6, 7, entering his rest, Hebrews 4, 9 through 11, their salvation from sin and death, Hebrews 9, 28, and in life in the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem, Hebrews 12, 22 through 23. Clearly for Hebrews, true conversion is marked by godly diligence that not only characterizes the beginning of a Christian life, but also perseveres to the end, which is what we've been talking about this whole time. Your faith perseveres to the end. This is why last week when he said look, Jesus met with people, he came to people and people said, did we not do miracles and all these other things? He says I never knew you. Away from me. I never ever knew you. So the works that we do, the things that you and I are to do, it's supposed to be out of the outpour of being incredibly, overwhelmingly satisfied in God and God alone. Are you satisfied in God? Because if you're not satisfied, if, you're, if your motivation isn't the satisfaction of God, then it becomes about our stewardship and our doing and our work and our things. I, I want to move past this and talk about there is stuff that we need to do, but I need you guys to, to really settle on, are you satisfied by God? Are you looking to the world to satisfy things, things that only God can? Are you looking for hope in your future in what your job may do, in what your kids may do? Are you looking for your hope in your future in God and God alone and what he 
is doing and what he has promised to do. You want to have confidence? You want to have assurance? You want to, you want to know like, man, I, I have confidence that the Lord, that I am a child of God? Then you'd be satisfied in the Lord and you put your hope in the Lord. And then these other things, you're, the way you love other people and the way, that you, the way that you aren't sluggish will just be a natural outpour of that life. It's why you can look at someone that's walking around, moving and setting up curtains or anything else in this place, and they're smiling the whole way. Why? Because they're not, A, maybe they're more of a morning person than you, and they didn't feel bad about the robbed hour of sleep last night. But either way, let's say that's out of the way. But most likely, it's because they recognize that it's not just curtains. It's not just chairs. They're satisfied to be serving the Lord. Why? Because they love Him. Their work is out of Him. You can play guitar and sing on your own strength, but you're going to get burnt out. You're going to perform and you're going to miss the point. Or you can be satisfied in God and say, God, I get to do this for you. That's what this text is saying. The air would be to go, okay, now go serve and love each other more. Although that's, we need to. We need to serve and we need to love each other. Some people like hear this and go, sweet. I can just stop loving people? We might want to look at verse 12 and the sluggish thing, but that's another issue. If you are fully satisfied with the Lord, guys, it's going to affect every area of your life. Uh, do you find yourself hungry to hear from God in his word? Like when you read, is it just like, oh, man, it's just like pulling teeth reading through this stuff. Or is it like the Lord is speaking to me here? This is words he's preserved through time for me. Do you find satisfaction when you get a chance to serve in the kids' ministry somewhere else that this is an opportunity to love God? I get to love God by doing these things. Or is it just like, well, I got to get up a little bit earlier and be there? Change some diapers. See, I think the biggest problem with a lot of our issues with whether or not we understand we have confidence in our salvation isn't the metric that we use of, well, here's all the things I do. And if you, ever, if you have any relationship with someone that doesn't know the Lord at all or hasn't spent a lot of time in the church, if you've ever had the conversation with like, hey, how do you know that this is all real? And how do you know God is there? If you go right to, well, I do this, and 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 they do this, and they do this, it's all about what you're doing. Your metric is off. You're, you've missed the point of what he has done and what he is doing. Even when, when Paul tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, he follows it up with, and the Lord will help you do this. And the Lord will do this with you. It's his strength that's doing the work in us. It's not us. My fear is so many of you here are spending time doing things, good things, but you're doing them on your own strength, without submission to the Lord, without real relationship with the Lord. And the danger is, is that you can then go a very long time really close to God, but not fully submitted to Him. And that's what the first part of 6 is talking about. And so when we come to a text that says, you want to know how you're saved, well, you'll see it in your life. And this is this is the weird tension. Basically, if we want to serve people in the most helpful way, and if we want God to remember us with the greatest possible blessing, then we should devote ourselves above all things to loving His name. Okay, that's the first, that's verse 10. We gotta love His name. If we want assurance and we want to understand all those things, then we, got, we gotta devote ourselves to His hope. In fact, one scholar said it this way. It's so good, I'm just gonna read it. He said, these are really not two separate focuses. Loving God and hoping in God, they're not separate. Loving the name of God means being satisfied more and more with God, with who God is now. Having the full assurance of hope means being satisfied with what God will be for us and do for us in the future. They are not really separate things. 
what they are saying together is this. The first business of Christian life is to find God satisfying because of who he is now. That's called loving him. And because of what he will do, what he will be for you in the future. And that's called hoping in him. So in these verses, we have one of the most basic and foundational things that we are to fight for. Not to fight to do more works. We're to fight for more love of God. More satisfaction in him. We're to fight for more hope in him. Not for us to not be sluggish. Because when I hope in him, I'm going to realize that, man, my, like, his promises are incredible. I got work to do today if this is his promises. If this is where it's at, I want to, I want to engage in this. And it's not, it's not out of obligation. It's out of the, I love him and I'm satisfied in him. And so therefore, I'm going to keep moving and working and living because of my hope that's found in him alone. When we lose priority, when we make serving the priority, we do it on our own strength. We do it in a way that, that may seem to make a difference and maybe people's lives will be affected by it, but ultimately in our own heart, we're doing it for our own satisfaction. It's a selfish thing. Some of you, you serve because you want to be noticed, which is funny because the, the very beginning of this text says, hey, God is paying attention. He's remembering. He will not, he's not unjust. He totally sees what you do. He's aware of it, and he blesses that. Some of you are serving because you feel like you need to earn something from God. You hear, like, not being sluggish. You look at your life, and you're like, man, I've been totally sluggish. I've been really sluggish. And so you start applying yourself more to not being sluggish as opposed to applying yourself more to find hope in God and God alone, which then in turn would make you not be sluggish. It seems like a gross oversimplification of this text, but it really, really, really makes sense. If you think about it, think about if your motivation in a marriage is just to stay married, you might do a lot of things that may help that, but it doesn't really necessarily mean that the marriage is, is really beautiful. You ever think about that? Like, you can work really hard, and yeah, we were married 40 years, and what'd you figure out? Well, we just figured out how to not make each other too mad. <laughs> and we just figured out how to stay out of each other's way. Versus, no, I, I, I wanted to love her more every day. I, want, I wanted to be more of Christ to her today than I was yesterday. That, that changes the marriage altogether. The same things may happen. I may still steer clear of things that would upset her, and I may still make choices in our schedule that I would have done with apart from that. But my motivation isn't those things to solve the marriage. My motivation is to have a marriage that's submitted to the Lord. It's the same thing in parenting, guys. It's the same thing in your schoolwork. It's the same thing in everything you do. If you are not satisfied in God, you're going to look for satisfaction in this world. And I tell you, I tell you this, it will fall short. We need to spend more time fasting from the world and surrender to the God. We need to spend more time finding ways to be in relationship with Him and just be enamored with Him. Is, isn't it interesting that in Psalms it doesn't say, serve the saints and know that I'm God. It doesn't say, don't be sluggish and know that I'm God. It doesn't say, be imitators of the people with faith uh, and perseverance and know that I'm God. It says, be still and know that I'm God. When's the last time that you just sat with God and was like blown away by how amazing, how incredible. You can't read the scriptures and get a, a small picture of who God is. You've allowed the cares of this world to take its place in your heart. You've allowed things to start stealing the joy that comes from knowing the Lord and being satisfied in him. And what's scary is some of you have allowed that and instead of solving that, you just try to do more to appease the conscience. If I can just do a little bit more, then I'll have that assurance. And he's saying, no, the, the assurance is, it's the for that. The assurance is fighting for the assurance. That sluggish stuff comes with it. Loving the saints, but it's in his name. It's, it's loving God. It's being satisfied in him first. These verses, we have one of those basic things to learn about the living, 
the Christian life. The way to be a servant of others, the way to be patient, the way to be, not be sluggish, the way to inherit the promises, the way to be remembered by God is to show great earnestness, zeal, diligence, haste in being satisfied with God. That's what it really comes down to. It's, it's about being satisfied with God. For most of us, we don't hear this text the way that they would have heard it the first time. Again, we aren't, we aren't wrestling with a, a, a religious system of, of Judaism and, and trying to figure out how that, that works together. But for most of us, when we hear this text, we go, okay, cool, I got, I got to be satisfied with God. Okay, awesome. How do I do that? I don't think it's really about what we do at all. I think the more time we spend on what we do, on what we need to do to find this out, the, 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 the greater risk we have of missing what he's already done for us through Christ. You want to find yourself more satisfied with God? Then fall on your knees and praise God for his mercy through Jesus Christ. You want to be more satisfied with God? Then recognize just how great a cost it was for Jesus to take your place on that cross. And let that sink in. You want to be more satisfied with God? Then realize that he has preserved these words for you to know more about him. You want to be more satisfied with God? Stop looking at yourself and the world and spend your time fixing your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith, Jesus Christ. There isn't, there isn't this fail-safe. Now, I would be remiss to not say this. When you're satisfied with God, all of these other things happen. They really do. I have seen in my life areas that, that were completely unnatural for me and, and something I did not even desire to do. But as, as God broke down my own pride and stubbornness in that area, I watched things happen that like there is no way I could give any credit to anything other than God and his spirit at work in me. And that is every bit of good thing that any one of us do. It's his work in us. The, the band's gonna come up and we're gonna, we're gonna worship some more. We're gonna sing. But I, I, wanna, I wanna challenge you with this again because I feel like so often we fight to be busy. We fight to do the right things. Even as churches, we can be well-meaning, be like, here are, the, here are the eight classes you should do, and here's this, and we want you to be a part of this. And you're really, really busy doing all these things, and you for, forget why you're doing them. You forget the purpose of it. And we have women's Bible studies, and we have these gospel communities, and we have kids ministry and youth ministry. We have all these things happening, and we think it's just so that we can just find something to do with our time and hope that something good comes out of it. You've, you've lost the why. You come and sit to church so that hopefully you can enjoy the music and, and maybe the guy doesn't say something too stupid and you actually apply it in some way. Like, no. You, you do these things because you're satisfied with the Lord. Because his promises are good. Because he's incredibly faithful. And it's despite, in spite of our tendency to be sluggish and our inability to imitate those that have gone before us and our inability to show love and to be forgiving, despite all of that, he says, I send my son and his blood covers you if you just submit to him as Lord. Would you be satisfied in that? It's almost like we've been waiting for part two. Like, ah, cool. Jesus, you covered my blood. You took my sins. I was a pretty good dude anyways. What else you got for me? We spend more time looking for things from him as opposed to just looking to him. We want to see him do more miracles as opposed to recognize the miracle of our own life being saved and having mercy and grace. We want to see him do more. And there's, look, there's nothing wrong with wanting him to see him doing more as long as it's not in place of already being satisfied with him. If you're wanting him to do more so you can be like, well, you need to do more because I've lost my appetite for you. That's a heart issue on you. Some of you in here, you, you don't know the Lord. You are the very people that we were talking about last week. You're the individuals that have been close to God for a very long time. You've even gone through the motions. Man, I bet you have a laundry list of all the great things you've done, but you've never fully submitted yourself to the Lord. And you've been using excuses 
or reasons, or maybe justifiable things that someone did to, to try and hold yourself at a wall, to keep yourself back. And the really sad thing is that in that position, in, this, in all these things that you do and all this time that you spend working and trying to be as close as possible and, and not really fully submitting yourself, you're robbing yourself of satisfaction. You're, you're, you're robbing yourself of joy and hope and peace. And some of us in here, we've been following the Lord for a long time, and even when I word, use the word satisfaction, you're like, man, the last time I used that word, it was for a good burger. I was satisfied in a good burger. That's the last time I could think of using that word. To even think about being satisfied in God, you're like, well, I, th- I think I like him. May it not be so. May we be a people that are so in love with the Lord that it just permeates through every single pore in our body. And every single thing we do is saturated with his grace and his joy. Not because we have found the combination of being some kind of awesome willpower person, but because we finally submitted ourselves entirely to him. It's, it's interesting that when we, we die to ourselves, we finally truly begin to live. It's interesting that God's promises make a lot more sense when it starts with us being fully submitted to him. May you find more satisfaction. I wish there was something I could say or do that would stir in your hearts to be more satisfied in the Lord. But instead, I'll trust the Holy Spirit in that. Heavenly Father, I pray. I pray that people wouldn't listen to this and just go, neat, I need to be more satisfied, but instead would hear... Um, nothing I said but your spirit pushing on them pushing on them to find deep unshakable founded satisfaction in the love of God God would you help us to to not place our hope in anything other than God God would you help us to would you I just ask Lord for those of us in here that have submitted our lives to you would you strip away the things that are getting in the way I don't care how closely we hold that to us. I don't care how big of a wound it, move, it, it leaves. I pray that you would strip it away. I pray you'd cling, you'd pry back our fingers and strip it, whether it's money, relationships, work, school, housing, whatever it may be, whatever we, we spend so much time fixated on, focusing on, God, would you, would you pry our fingers back and say you're not going to find satisfaction in that? Your satisfaction must be in me and me alone. God, for the individuals in here that continue to do for you but never spend any time with you, God, would you just wreak havoc on their hearts? Let them hit that proverbial burnout so they can recognize that they've been doing it all in their own strength. God, I pray in in your grace and your mercy, would you let them do that inside of a community? A community of people that can point them back to your scriptures and your truth. Yeah, for all of us that have tried to find satisfaction in something other than you, forgive us of that. And God, for the individuals in here that keep looking for satisfaction in anything other than you, God, would you just destroy their pride? It's not an accident they're here. They aren't just appeasing a friend or, or checking something out. They're not just going through the motions because they, that's all they want. God, I, I truly believe they're here and I believe that your spirit can work in them to help them to surrender everything to them, to die to themselves, to you. God, may we find more satisfaction in you. It's not that you need to be more satisfying. That's not the problem, Lord. The problem is we keep choosing something other than you. And God, when we find that satisfaction, would you show us that we could see the, the, the assurance that comes from that satisfaction because we're loving the saints, because we aren't sluggish, because we're imitating those that have gone before us to inherit the promises that you hold for us. 
Father, we, we love you. And, and I pray that even as we get ready to sing right now, that we don't just stand up and sing some song to just make noise or sit there and assess who's singing, who's not singing, or whether or not we're on key. But instead, God, may it be a, a, some, if there's a single noise that comes out of our mouth, may it come out of a, a deep, deep part of our body that is fully satisfied with you. And God, if we can't, if we can't operate out of satisfaction with you, God, I pray that you just strip us away of everything that we're doing. I think that we talked about it a few weeks ago. I pray that you just cut, cut away whatever is not of you, Lord. And so I pray as we, as we sing right now, God, would we not sing as people that are looking for satisfaction? May we sing as people that are truly satisfied. And we not sing as people that um, feel guilt or shame in the ways that we haven't found satisfaction, but instead rest in the fact that we know that satisfaction comes through you and you alone. God, may we sing as adopted children covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amazed at that miracle alone. Amazed. Trans- uh, uh, completely confounded, dumbfounded on the fact that you gave enough grace for all of us. And that is satisfying enough, Lord. We love you. We thank you for answering our prayers. If we ask, we seek, we knock, Lord, you, you will show us your satisfaction. And so I pray that you would help us to, to rest in that more this week. I pray that we'd be a people that are so in love and so satisfied with you that our hope is so solid that all people see is imitating faith and patience and, and, and beauty, pointing back to the glory of Christ. I pray that our little community inside these walls and outside would be drastically different because of the way that we serve. Not because of our obligation, but because of the way we're satisfied with you. I pray all this in Jesus' name.